What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the show. Today, I'm sitting with Chase Diamond. He is an email marketer, a teacher. He throws events. He's got a newsletter. He does a ton. This is a really interesting conversation because we get into, you know, not only the businesses he runs, but more so how he's built them and how he's structured his life to be able to see these things flourish, how he's handled the emotional and physical toll of running his businesses and what adjustments he's made. Chase is a new father. He has multiple businesses with multiple partners. So it was really interesting to dive into how he thinks about one, his time, two, his priorities, and three, the business and life that he wants to build in the future. I think you're really gonna enjoy this one if you're thinking about starting a business or run a business currently. All right. Let's get into this episode. What's up, my beautiful marketing people? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Shelton. Today, sitting with me is Chase Diamond. You may know him if you are deep into marketing Twitter, and you may know him as the email marketer extraordinaire, really all things email marketing. Isn't that right, Chase? Yeah, I guess that's correct. I appreciate that. <laughs> I, hey, I've been learning a lot from your feed and I know you've got a course as well. And I want to kind of hear the whole story before we get into some specific questions I have. So let's start there. Let's walk back. How did you get into, you know, retention, email marketing or just marketing overall? Did you fall into it? Was it always the plan? Uh, walk us through that. Yeah. So this story actually starts when I was 13 years old. So at the age of 13, I got really, really sick and I was sick for the entirety of a year. And at the age of 14, I finally figured out that I had Crohn's disease and I didn't feel like it was fair to go an entire year without a diagnosis. So from 14 to 16, I took it upon myself to raise awareness and fundraising for this charity called the Crohn's and Cladis Foundation. And everything that I taught myself and everything that I learned was really, for the most part, non-paid tactics. We did a little bit of like buying ads in like newspapers and magazines, but for the most part, it was like very word of mouth and referral marketing and email marketing and phone calls and those types of things. Although at the time, I didn't know that those had names that I didn't really know what I was doing, right? Kind of connected the dots in hindsight. So fast forward, uh, I joined the board of this charity, got to meet a lot of really cool people, which landed me you know, jobs and internships throughout high school and college. And a lot of what I was doing was like B2B sales or building communities. And I was sending a lot of cold emails. I started sending cold emails one by one. I just remember every day, like these engineers would walk past my desk and just laugh at me. And I kind of finally asked them one day, like, what, what's so funny? They're like, it doesn't matter if it's the morning, if it's the afternoon, you're always copying and pasting emails and you're sending them one to one. Like you're wasting so much time. And I said, well, what do you mean? Like, how am I supposed to do this? And they taught me about like email software to automate cold emails and automate, you know, flows and to send campaigns at scale. So throughout high school and college on these jobs and internships, that's where I found email. And I spent the very first part of my career doing a lot more like cold email in untraditional ways. So I built an email travel series from zero to 500,000 email subscribers largely on the back of cold email. So we'd go to Instagram, and we'd find the emails of influencers and just folks that wanted to connect based off of hashtag travel or accounts that they followed. And I scaled that we had like a dating site that went viral. And a lot of it was like Facebook groups and email. So every business I built like email was really a core component. And about five years ago, I specifically started doing uh, email marketing for e commerce. So that's kind of the long version. I love it. And I love how you have that like, you know, it took somebody walking by to be like, hey, you're doing that, you know, a very manual way with regards to the sending one to one. And there must be a better way. And then you get in there and you start to learn the platforms. And little do you know that you're building the groundwork to now go and approach, 
brands and say, hey, we can help scale your you know, e-com sales and do that through email. Now, have you had to deal with any of these questions or when people have budget of, hey, we want to do this channel over email or email's dead, quote unquote, and then coming back and being like, actually, it's the only thing you do, you know, own or have you ever had to address that, you know, throughout your career as brands have maybe got excited about the shiny object, whatever it's a social media platform or YouTube or whatever it may be? Has Yeah. Have you ever been up against that with questioning like that? Yeah, 100%. I would say a lot more like in the early to mid part of the career. Whereas lately, I'm sure I've heard it recently, but a lot less infrequently. So, you know, I started doing the kind of like the e-com email like 2017, 2018. So that really was like the heyday of Facebook and Instagram ads. So that really was the shiny object. People could scale like infinitely without much else. The smart brands were using email and you know have continued to use email. But yeah, in the early days, being a newcomer to the space, other channels were way sexier, way more profitable, way easier. We got a lot of backlash of like, well, why would we do this? It doesn't work. It's dead. And a lot of people bring in like their own personal biases into the marketing mix. And there's a lot of issues with that, right? People aren't sending enough campaigns per week because they themselves don't want to receive too many campaigns. And if they only learned about segmentation, right, that would help them send more emails, but making sure the same person doesn't receive too many. I think now just through like the nature of the brands that we worked with in kind of the industry through iOS 14, 14.5, I think brands realize that they have to do a lot of channels well versus just a single channel. So absolutely have faced it, but far less lately. You said something really interesting there about overcoming our own, you know, internal biases around messaging or messaging frequency or messaging. I say this to clients all the time, like you're going to get tired of the message long before the customer does. Now, how do you go about keeping yourself true to that? I know for the client, you can be like, look, here's the data and getting them across. Have you caught yourself at all being like, whoa, I'm my bias is taking over with regards to how we set up the campaign or maybe how we scale the business? I just know I've had a couple of those moments. So I'm curious if you've kind of caught that at all for yourself. Yeah, I think like our own experience and our own biases are both our greatest strength and also our greatest weakness, right? I think listening to your gut, listening to your past experience and making decisions based off that is super important. But on the flip side, right, you have to monitor the data and what is the data telling us? So I think that the easiest and the best way that I personally do it or I do it at the agency is surrounding myself with a group of other people that have a similar interest in terms of the fact that we all like email marketing, but different biases and different backgrounds and the fact that like my life experience is much different than theirs, everything from maybe like gender to age to geography, right? The way that we see the world is different. So I found myself, if I ever fall into these traps of like only going with, you know, the biases that I see the world through, being able to appreciate and understand other people's perspectives. And, you know, my intuition is often a good start, but it's not the only way to do something. So I think surrounding yourselves with like other marketers, designers, copywriters, account managers, and developers and having like this really well flushed out and kind of thorough kind of a sounding board, for lack of a better word, mm. has helped me kind of counteract some of those things. And let's jump into that a little bit, right? So you talk about going in and we're able to scale brands. Now I want to talk about your time and how you're able to scale, you know, your business. You've got an agency where you're helping, yeah. you know, you're helping brands scale. You've also got course materials. You you have your own social like, how did you go about scaling the agency? Was it just hiring a bunch of, you know, getting the right people in? Did you partner? Walk yeah. me through how you have yeah, scaled your time, so to speak. Yeah, it's a good question. And kind of to set the scene, I have 
and know four or five different businesses. The the agency is by far the largest. Across all of our divisions, we're probably 100 to 110 people, you know, working with north of 150 brands. You know, in the early days, like, you know, I was spending seven days a week, all my time specifically working in that business. But you go through seasons and you go through kind of evolutions where you yourself are kind of really crucial integral to a specific team. You know, we call it a pod. I'm sure you probably call it something similar. And then the kind of the key there, right, is like you build this pod around yourself. So using email as an example, on the agency side, like we like to have five people with a client. It's a marketer, copywriter, designer, account manager, and developer. So in the first pod, I was the marketer. And then I had the visibility to be like, okay, I now need to bring in a right-hand person to be able to take the marketing off my back. And then from there, right, I would go build out pod two. I would be the marketer and I'd hire the the skill sets around me. And then I'd pull myself out, right? And you do this for a period of time. Now you have two, three, four pods of people. You now are kind of up top managing you know, the pods, right? So instead of being in a pod, you're managing the pods. And then over time, right, as you have other people that can manage the pods and they move up, you move up. So instead of managing the pods yourself, you're now managing the manager of the pods, right? And on each of those teams, you want someone on the design side to kind of be the, the head. You want someone on the copywriting to be the head. So now this way as a marketer, you're only managing the marketers. You're not managing the design and the creative because, you know, sure, I could try doing design, but you're going to end up with stick figures, right? Whereas the designer really understands like the colors and the layout and how you can design for conversion through the visual elements. So long-winded, what I'm getting at, right, is like you yourselves are, are in it. And then over time, right, you're managing the people that are in it. And then you manage the managers. And then you kind of get to this point where like you yourself like aren't really needed in the day-to-day. So I'm not really that involved in the day-to-day of like the client work. A lot more of my role specifically at the agency is things like uh, content, partnerships, sales, biz dev, agency acquisitions, things like that. So that's like the main thing. And then outside that, there's like the courses. I have a events business where we do quarterly events. I'm working on an email software, I have newsletters, social, all those things. When I do things with other people, I find other A players, folks that I don't have to micromanage, folks that are going to be complimentary to me where I know what I'm good at. I'm really good at like top of funnel, being the face, you know, creating distribution, but I'm not good at finance. I'm not good at ops. I'm not good at accounting. I'm not good at legal. So I've been able to build a really great team of leaders at the agency that's freed up my time to go build other projects. And I'm hyper efficient because I'm finding other people too that have other things going on and they need to be hyper efficient. So long winded, it's finding really good people, building really good processes. Uh, if things break, don't just jump in to fix it. Let the people that are actually in it fix it or else every single time they're going to look for you to kind of apply the Band-Aid and actually fix it. You kind of become the bottleneck if you have to jump in every single time. I love that. And it's so true, right? Going and bringing in the A players where I think a lot of people when they start their agency, they think, oh, I need to just hire junior yep. and I'll train because you think, oh, the cost of you know, somebody out of college versus maybe somebody who's done it two or three times that want to bring in, oh, the cost on paper is less. But you go through that once or twice and you realize really quickly, oh, now I'm spending half my time in an educational training role versus handing over the reins, right? And not to say there isn't, you know, you have to have the entry level people as well. But I love the fact that you brought that up is like, get around people you can be like, amazing. You're good at finance. You're good at project management, whatever may be you know, go bananas. I'm going to do what I'm really, really value add at in the business. Now, do you, just in terms of managing that time, do you have like, do you time block? Do you have set days for certain projects? Like, how do you make sure that, you know, the events business doesn't fall to the wayside, for instance, or the news, you know, the newsletter or whatever it may be? 
Yeah, I don't have like any crazy process, to be honest. With all the businesses, there's a, there's some seasonality. We're like in Q4, right? Like the agency business is just an absolute zoo, right? So most of the priority and the focus is on that business during that quarter. Events business, it's kind of spotty. We're like, we do one event per quarter. So, you know, the week of the event is just like, I can't do anything else. So for me, like every night before bed, I kind of look at my calendar for the next day and I see like what calls I have and I look at my to-do list and I try to figure out like, what are the few things that are like absolutely important and urgent, right? Like there's like that quadrant. I don't as much write it down anymore, but I've kind of like put myself in that framework of like uh, urgent, important, not important, not urgent, right? And the things that are A, important and B, urgent, those are the things that I try to tackle first. And I also think about like across the businesses I have, what are the things that I need to do to be able to unlock the people around me to do their job? And if there's something that I am not doing that prevents other people from doing their job, then I'm really holding things up. So I kind of like mentally visualize the day, the night before, before I go to bed, I think about it. I kind of take a couple notes. I set a couple reminders. And then I, the next day, I start with those really important things first. And then anything left over that I have brain power for, I'll try to knock off one by one. And then the things I didn't get to finish, those might then move up the next day to be the most important because now it's been one or two days that I haven't done them. No, that makes sense. Now, with having all the multiple lines of business, do you run those as each their own LLC? Are you coupling things into a company? You know, for someone who's listening who wants to start a course business on top of you know their agency or a newsletter or they want to do events, you know, how did you set that up or how do you currently have that running? Yeah, I've got like four different entities. So like the agency has its own entity with partners over there. Uh, there's five of us partners, so I've got four partners there. Courses, newsletters, consulting things like that. I just have a personal LLC. On the events business, I have two partners there. So we've got a different LLC for that. And then this uh, software I'm building has its own LLC. So every business has its own LLC because there's different partners that have different uh, contributions and different equity and whatnot. So yeah, like four different entities. And then anything outside those, I try to loop under my personal one. So that way I don't need five or six LLCs. It's, right. it's a little bit ridiculous. Yeah, it's tough, right? But it's important. And I'm glad you explained it like that. I had a hunch. But for anyone listening, like separate your lines of business if you can and you can manage it because it will stop maybe potential headaches down the road, especially if you have, you know, partners in other in other yeah. lines. That just makes things easier. Now, moving to the next question really about balancing, you know, work and life. You are a new parent, correct? Yep. How has that been from a work-life integration. I don't believe in work-life balance. I think everything is intertwined and you know, you got to uh, do what you can when you can and work affects life and everything. So how has that transition been as a new parent with still running the businesses and, and growing the agency? Yeah. Walk me through that experience. Yeah. That's interesting. That was probably the the personal stuff. Becoming a dad was probably the biggest factor for me actually getting my like my stuff together on the the business side. So, you know, prior to the baby, my daughter's uh, 26 months old, you know, I was working seven days a week during the week, Monday through Friday, I was working 12, 14 hour days. Often on the weekend, I was working four to six hours per day and just had no balance, right? Like it was all work. It was in the early stages of grinding and building and really paying my dues. And then a couple of months before I had my daughter, I had like this epiphany of like, oh man, I, I really do want to be present, right? Like I really want to be around and I, you know, the work from home thing is hard to like separate the home and the work, right? So essentially for me, a couple of months before I had my daughter, you know, I told my partners, hey, I'm going to take a paternity leave. And I never thought in my life that would be like a possibility that I would A, want to or B, be able to find the time. So I took three weeks off 
And in those three weeks, I realized like, oh man, maybe I'm overstating how valuable I am to the day to day. Maybe I'm not as beneficial as I thought I was, right? I think as uh, agency owners, as business owners, right? We all have a little bit of ego. We all have, you know, a lot of confidence. We all think that, you know, we're typically the only ones that can do something to a specific level. And I had that thought and it ends up that that was not true, right? In hindsight. So taking the three weeks off for me opened my eyes to like, oh man, other people around me can do just as well. And some can actually even do better. And then from there, my whole role changed. Like it was from being in the weeds and then being more of like a coach versus like a, a team player, right? Like I wasn't a member of the team. I was more of like the coach that facilitated these people and got them the things that they need and really stayed out of their way. So that was one. And then two, as a result, like it's made me be really hyper efficient and really consider new projects. Like, is this going to add a lot of value to my business? Is this going to add value to my life? And I've gotten better at saying no, right? Because, you know, I now have something that's an opportunity cost. The more time I spend at work, the less time I got to spend with my wife and my daughter. So it's really just made me view opportunities where like opportunities have to either A, produce X amount of happiness, you know, Y amount of dollars. They have to be a lot of congruent. You know, I don't want to be the sole person working on it. So I kind of have created like this framework of how I make business decisions, knowing that it's going to impact my personal and personal decisions that impact my business. So it's been interesting. I love it. And it's interesting to have that, you know, light bulb moment almost, right? I think kind of to the first point you said where you realized that you didn't have to be in the day to day. I think entrepreneurs, we like to say, oh, you know, we have that feeling nobody can do it like how I can do it, yeah. attention to detail, this, that. Really, what I think we're just masking is I'm a control freak and I have a hard time letting go of this. If we just get to brass tacks, and then it's like every entrepreneur I've ever met is a control freak. And then it is the continual grind of like, just getting kind of loosening the grip and letting go. At least that's been for me in talking with people. I think that is so, and you have those moments when you step away to be like, oh, people got it, right? Like some people are better at this than me. I'm not, like you said, over, we internally maybe overstate our importance to the whole procedure. I love that. And I love the coach example, right? You start off as the star quarterback and then you become the player coach. And then eventually your management and you got the coaches moving around and then hopefully one day you're sitting in the owner's box and you know everything is is working without you. I love that comparison as well and then along with what you said about saying no to projects and building out that framework. I think that is the most powerful thing to understand how business serves your life and it could be an experience like a kid that you know really goes, "Okay, this business I'm serving the business, the business isn't needs to serve me." Yes. Right. And having that change in perspective. Now that you've kind of got these frameworks and everything, how has that affected you like physically? And I mean that from like anxiety, sleeping, like all of those things that nobody likes to talk about with entrepreneurship, about when you're lying in your bed sweating because you're <laughs> thinking about payroll or accounts or if you're going to get an account or whatever. Has it now that you've put those frameworks in, has it affected you at all physically? Oh, dude, for a way better for a positive. Like I feel like my life now like is a lot more zen and at peace because I'm not so stressed and worried. I felt like when I was in the weeds and I was in the day to day, you know, you just see all the chaos, right? And you feel the chaos and you feel the burden of the team, you feel the burden of the clients. And and it's it really does take a toll on you, you know, health, mental, right? Sleep, all the above. So 
I think like for me, like when I think about like my schedule too, like even my schedule is different. Like, you know, now I wake up in the morning whenever my daughter wakes up and I hang out with her for a little bit. Right. And then I get online and then I take a lunch with her. Right. And then I get back to work and then I kind of close it for the night and we go on a walk and hang out. So I think it's a lot more intentional now, like the schedule, whereas before it's like you kind of would just be working and there'd be like no end in sight. It's like, I don't know if I'm going to be off at 5 p.m. today or or 10 p.m. Right. I don't know if I'm going to collect this check or if I'm going to be held up by this. So I think for me, like just seeing also to the fact that like, you know, have this family, you want to take care of yourself. So we bought like the tonal and, you know, I think over the last nine weeks while I've had it, I've been averaging like six workouts a week, just on the tonal. That doesn't include like playing pickleball and going on walks and playing basketball and doing all these other things. So I feel like, I don't know, I feel like life is now more on my terms where before I was so consumed by the things that you know, allowed, I allowed myself to be consumed by like the clients having Slack messages at all hours. You know, we work with clients across, you know, multiple, multiple different countries, you know, and whatnot. And any point in time, a Slack notification can going off. Like I used to wake up at like 2 a.m. to check Slack because I'm like, oh, shoot, clients in Australia or Europe need me for something. Right. And, and now like I silence everything. I mute most channels. So life has gotten better as I've trusted more people to do their job. And now the stress that I had across the whole is divided up in parts, right? It's not like I've passed all the stress off to a single person. I've divided the stress that I had across six people, 12 people, 50 people, 100 people, right? So now it's more manageable for every one of those people as well. Yeah, I love it. And one of the things I think people think when they're not, when they're, you know, when they're starting a business, they go, if I do that and if I structure my day and if I close the laptop or turn the silence on, oh, my business is going to evaporate. But what I found is when people actually implement that, it tends to go the other way and tend to say, oh, they take on the high value projects. The business starts to grow. Have you found that too? Did you notice that the correlation between like, whoa, now that I'm in more of a like coaching role and I'm, like you said, kind of handing off the stress amongst six or 12 people and all of those tasks, did the business growth correlate with that? Yeah, it definitely did. Like I had a lot more clarity, a lot more mental clarity. So I was able to create and I was able to just think clearly and, you know, I'm able to read and I'm able to learn. Whereas before, like when you're so busy being consumed by the business, you're not able to think about tomorrow. You're so focused on the items today that you can't plan for the future, right? We all know that if you don't plan for the future, right, you're planning to fail, right? That's like the whole concept. So I think for me, being able to take a step back and really work on the projects I wanted to work on allowed me to be more creative, which makes the things I put out more interesting because I got to meet cool people and do cool things. And I swear, anytime I go golfing or play pickleball or do anything cool, I feel like I get more business, right? Like, I don't know if it's just like an energy thing. I don't know if people see like, oh, he's doing this. So, you know, they're probably pretty good. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but I've noticed that like, you know, kind of coincidentally, anytime I'm not necessarily at the computer doing the things I should be doing, I end up getting more for me. And I'm able to create more content and I'm able to be more authentic and genuine and like in the zone and, and really present in the moment, which I think people pick up on. It's so strange and you're right. It's when you're doing those other things, you bring that comfortability to the meetings and what have you. And it's kind of like, I draw it back to like dating in my early twenties and people saying, Hey, people can smell if you're desperate. Right. Yep. And like, but if you have, usually if you're confident or when you are in a relationship, then people would be like, Whoa, now you're desirable. And it's like, <laughs> now the older version of that in business is, is if you take care of your mental health, you take care of your physical health, you're just more, a little more relaxed. Things roll off the shoulders a little easy. Hey, that Slack message, that's okay. We'll get to it. And we set the tone of like, we'll handle it, but it's not everything's a fire. Um, yes. People want to work with that energy. They want to work with that. I think that that becomes very attractive, right? To potential clients that go, oh, I actually would like to have some peace in, in my life as well. So I'm going to work with an agency that, you know, or a person that really aligns with my goals there. 
Yeah, on that note, right, like I think you attract the ideal client when you're in the ideal kind of frame of mind, right? I know early in our early days, like we took anyone and everyone and we were scrambling. We found the clients that were also scrambling, right? Which those two together are not a good fit that there's no balance there. We're both just like running around like chickens with their head cut off, right? But now like in the state of mind that, you know, I'm in, it seems like you're in as well, right? You really attract the right clients and you really repel the wrong clients. You know, you can kind of hop on a call and it's like, if someone has similar energy and similar values and similar way of thinking about business, that's a good fit. And if you have someone that's on a call that's polar opposite, it's like, hey, I'm really appreciative about the opportunity, but I don't think we're the right fit for you and therefore you're not the right fit for us so i think like when you think clearly and level-headedly you think about like mid-term and long-term decision making not just the short term you end up with clients that are going to stick around for longer they're actually going to be partners right they're going to value you versus just clients that are just looking to use you as a stepping stone which there's nothing wrong with that right but you, i think you attract the right clients when you yourself are ready for it spot on i, I am right there with you Chase, this has been awesome, man. I appreciate you taking the time today. Now, for anyone who wants to connect with you online, where should they go? Yeah, Twitter would be the best place. So my handle is Ecom Chase Diamond. There's no in Diamond. So it's just D-I-M-O-N-D. So Ecom Chase Diamond. And I will put a link to Chase's Twitter in the show notes page. So you can just click on through and connect with him. Chase, thanks again for coming on today, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, everybody, that's it for this episode. As always, I'm your host, Jordan Shelton, and I will see you next time. 